Dr. Ali Hill is with us for the first time in 2024 from the Department of Nutrition at Otago University. Morena. Morena, Jim. You're up here for a change. I know, it's great. We're talking to you in person. What brings you to Auckland? So this weekend I'm coaching at the Swimming New Zealand Visual Impairment Camp. Wow. So you're coaching people who are blind and partially blind? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Mm. And you're a good swimmer yourself, obviously. Well, I'm probably a better coach than I am a swimmer, (laughs) I think. I suppose it's all that academic training. Exactly. Lecturing to students. A few things to ask you about, and one current one from this past week, we've got gummy vitamin supplements in New Zealand on our shelves, and globally, sales of them reports the Slashdot site are projected to double in value to $14 billion by 2027. Gummy vitamins are just candy, is the headline in the Atlantic Monthly, and there are concerns about overdosing with children. I don't think there's much doubt about whether gummies contain nutrients. I think there's doubt about accuracy of labelling, which has raised concern. Concerns, for example, about people overdosing on melatonin. That was one example. I don't know what regulations apply here to gummies. Yeah, so food's a very interesting one. So because it counts as a supplement rather than a medicine, it's not subject to the same restrictions as you probably get, as you would get with medicine. And it remains very much down to the um, person who's producing it to make sure that it's appropriate quality, it's safe to use, and it complies within the law as well. And I suppose the the one thing is, though, um, they can be really good for kids as a way to get vitamins into them because they look a lot better. Better. But you have to make sure that you're sticking with the what the, they recommend in terms of how much you should have as well. So that's why they're easy to overdose on because they look like lollies. So you don't want to take more than they actually say to it, on the packet. If you spray vitamins on, as it were, can you always get the exact dose that you'd be able to put into a pill, a vitamin pill? Because I think I saw that as a concern, that you might be taking what you think is certain strength and in fact... There are, there are, there's either less vitamins sprayed on or more vitamins sprayed on. It can be really difficult to get exact figures, and it's going to be the same with foods as well, though. So if you think that a food ah. has a certain amount, it will depend very much on the growing conditions and kind of what it's been exposed to and how it's been cooked and things. So there's lots of different things that can actually affect it. So you're saying basically gummies are fine as long as there isn't the temptation to gobble a whole lot of them up. Absolutely. I think it's everything in moderation, as usual. As you always say. All right. Uh, The Jerusalem Post has run a comparison of cooking oils, the best and the worst for your health. And, Ali, the claim here is that olive oil, which we've thought has a low smoke point, making it bad for frying, actually doesn't. It contains a fatty acid that's highly resistant to heat. What's the truth here? So to start off, just to give some background, smoke point is the temperature at which it starts smoking, as it sounds like, really. But it's also the temperature at which it starts to burn. And the problem with that is that it's going to affect the taste and the composition of it as well. And different types of fats and oils will have different smoke points. So butter's kind of around 120 to 150 degrees, um, whereas olive oil is probably around 199. But even within that, it will depend very much the type of olive oil that we use as well. But it will depend very much on the size of food as well. So the smaller pieces have a lower temperature and larger pieces need a higher temperature temperatures cook as well. So uh, just to make it plain, olive oil is fine for high temperature cooking though? It depends on whether what type of oil it is as well. So um, kind of 
whether it's virgin olive oil or whether it's the more refined olive oil will affect it too. I was going to ask you that. So there's a difference between, can I call it cheaper olive oil and good olive oil? You can call it what you like. I guess. Yeah, I know, but I'm just wondering if there are those distinctions to be made. I think it's. Um, I think they're all good. It's more um, probably is more around the price, but also the amount that it's processed. So I'm guessing by cheap you mean the um, less expensive. Less, yeah, less expensive. <laughs> I got that. Um, whereas the virgin olive oil tends to be. It kind of relates to the way that it's produced. So virgin olive oil is the one that's probably more expensive, and that's the way that you get oil out of that is basically just by pressing the olives. Whereas yeah. there's things like um, regular olive oil uses heat to extract the oil, and because of that, it tends to be cheaper. Right, okay. So it doesn't have to be extra virgin, but you are guaranteed that premium with extra virgin. It's more around the taste. So extra virgin has a lower smoke point, but um, it tastes much better, so you probably use it more in dressings, whereas olive oil has a, like the regular olive oil, has a higher smoke point, so you'd use that more in cooking. Ah, that's good information. All right. Obvious question um, in an age of deceit. I don't know if you can answer it. Can can you trust all the extra virgin labelling? Because we get a lot of bottles coming into the country as well, don't we? It's not just New Zealand extra virgin oil. As far as I'm aware, all of the oil will be subject to the same regulations from the MPI, though, so you should, you be, should safe. be safe. Yeah. Okay. An oil like sunflower, I was reading in this report, is maybe among the worst for frying. So sunflower oil is um, for it tends to break down quite a lot with high temperatures, but it means that it's good for it is good for cooking in the oven and it's also cheap. So perhaps you wouldn't use it for frying, but you might use it in the oven instead. All right. And the suggestion here is that olive oil, for example, stays sturdy, as it were, even when used twice. When you you know cook something and then put something else in the pan. The oil is just as good for the second lot of things you're trying to cook. Yeah, apparently so. So um, it it can go through several frying cycles and it doesn't change the um, the level of antioxidants that you would get in the olive oil. Okay. Harvard University reports on the great misperception regarding coconut oil. 72% of people asked think it's healthy, but it ain't, or it's not so much. No, it's not. This is a really interesting one, and it's um, definitely going to be a little bit controversial. But the reason why coconut oil is less healthy for you is because it's mostly saturated fat. And interestingly, I think it's interesting, nobody else does perhaps, but um, it's the only plant oil which has saturated fat in it. And that's the reason why it's solid at room temperature. So if you think about things like butter or... um, my brain's gone from it, tallow, stuff like that, anything else that is solid, then that's because it has more saturated fat in it. And because it's got high saturated fat, that's what makes it not as good for us. But we think because it comes from a vegetable that actually it might be. We, I know that we uh, have something in the pantry just labelled vegetable oil. Typically, what is vegetable oil and would you recommend its use? So... Vegetable oil can be used for a huge range of different types of oils. Um, It's anything that can come from a plant source. And how good it is for you will depend very much on what that plant source is. So olive oil is really good for you because it has a low level of monounsaturated fat, um, whereas some other ones you could get palm oil as well, sunflower oil that we've already talked about. Yeah. So vegetable oil, you don't really know what you're getting? Not necessarily. I mean, it could have it on the ingredients list. Why is canola oil 
not so flash as a substitute for olive oil, because on paper, at least, canola seems to pr- promise health benefits. Yeah, so the thing about um, canola oil is that it's got a good amount of monounsaturated fat, like olive oil does, which is why it's it's so healthy for us. And um, but the kind of the questions about it come from the way that it's produced. So it's it tends to go through a bit more rigmarole in its production. So um, it could be heated. You can have the solvents on it and and refine it in different ways as well. Okay, and again, you wouldn't totally know what you're getting in terms of process. Um, no, not unless it went into it in description, which I have never yeah. read olive oil bottles and no. looked for that level of depth. So. No, they don't talk to you like that. No. Uh, avocado oil is a good option, but it costs more? Yeah, so avocado oil is good if you're frying again because it's got a high smoke point. Um, it's got good amounts of the kind of healthy fats that we're looking for as well. But the downside is that it's more expensive. So it kind of depends on what's more important for you here, I guess. And I suppose also the other thing that we should talk about is the volume that you use. Like if you're absolutely drowning everything in oil, then that's a problem. It doesn't really matter what whether it's from like the healthier oils or the less healthy oils. It's still not a good thing. Why is that a problem with a good oil, a good healthy oil? Well, fats have the highest density of calories per gram. So if you had a gram of carbohydrates and a gram of protein, a gram of fat, you get most calories from the from the fat. Right. So when you think oh, it doesn't matter how much olive oil I use that's so healthy, um, I'm wrong. Absolutely. And the other thing to think about or to be aware of is um, the oils that are really good, the omega-3 oils that are good are the fish oils, whereas you see a lot of advertisement for vegetarian omega-3s. And the problem with those is that we don't tend to convert it as efficiently and there's a difference between men and women in terms of how well they can convert it as well. So if you can go for the fish oil or the fish, then that's going to be a better source for you than, than the just regular vegetable oils with that as well. Okay. Interesting about the women difference between women and men. Flaxseed oil has forever been talked up. Uh, It's healthy, of course, but not much use in cooking. Would it be okay for, say, low-temperature, slow cooking of any sort? Yeah, absolutely. So it's got a good level of omega-3 fatty acids. It's the short ones, but again, that's still quite good. Um, And it's got a very low smoke point, which means that you can't use it for most cooking, but you can use it for low-temperature cooking, like you said. Long and slow. Yeah. I grew up thinking that food poisoning basically came from meat or fish that had gone off, and I remember being very surprised when I first heard about spinach making people very ill. But many people, of course, some are having salads right now, and the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. say that salads have more food poisoning risks attached to them than the hamburgers you'll bung on the barbie, and that fruit and veg account for pretty much half of all nasty foodborne illnesses. So my question is, to what extent uh, does... This is what I do. You cut up the salad greens and you wash them in a colander, that kind of process. I've got a bit paranoid rinsing them. Um, Will that eliminate um, salmonella and listeria and whatever other bacteria? arrive on them is just rinsing them enough so it kind of depends on what the source of, of the bacteria is so if it's um if it's something on the outside of it then yeah absolutely that'll get rid of it and we should be washing our fruit and veg anyway if it's something that comes from the place that it's grown and then it gets kind of incorporated into the lettuce leaf or the or the spinach then that's a bit more of an issue but um, what you're doing is absolutely the right way to go about it Okay. Will supermarkets, you know, wrapping lettuces in plastic as they do, provide a good enough bill of health 
would you then need to wash them once you get them home again? I think you still need to wash them. And in fact, a lot of those salad bags do say to wash them as well, because I think the plastic is more about keeping it fresh when it's transported rather than stopping anything. And if the point of contamination is the soil it's been grown in or the water it's been grown in, then putting it into plastic after it's grown won't really make a difference. Ah, good point. I always, always ditch the outer leaves of lettuce, you know, even if they don't look manky. Is that a good rule of thumb? I think so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you can have them, but um, it's the outer layer. So if we're thinking about the dirt that gets on the outside, then that's an easy way to get rid of it. But you'd still be washing them afterwards. Dr. Ali Hill is with us. Before we let you go, on the Neuroscience News website is data from more than 48,000 women in the Harvard-based Nurses Health Study. If they consume higher amounts of plant-based protein, they'll have fewer chronic diseases, heart, cancer, diabetes, cognitive decline, and maintain better general health as they age. The benefits are pretty emphatic. Do you agree? And why? I think... um Obviously, the study, and this is the thing that we keep talking about, the study is great in that it's a huge number of people, but it's really difficult to narrow down any one element of your diet and say that these health benefits are purely down to this. So um, it's uh, having more plant-based protein perhaps also means that you're more active. You could be thinking about your diet a bit more um, and, you know, generally more plants we know have higher fiber protein vitamins minerals um, and general healthy eating we know is going to be good for us as well and it's quite difficult to separate the two so although it would be great to be able to say that it's purely down to that i don't think that we can at the moment i suppose people who are concerned enough to eat like this though tend to live healthier lives generally that's what you're saying yeah absolutely you can't really separate one from the other in most cases i was interested fruits veggies bread beans peanuts peas lentils pasta they're all good Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, these are all kind of plant-based things. So uh, it just sticks in with our general healthy eating advice at the moment about trying to get um, a little bit of everything and trying to eat broadly as well. The good foods included also included pizza, cereal, baking, mashed potatoes and peanut butter. Now they're talking. Um, Might that be because the study started in 1984, I was wondering, and maybe there was more nutrition in pizza most pizza, for example, back then. Yeah, I mean, I was quite young at that point, so I don't know the nutritional breakdown of pizza then. Um, but it also depends on what you mean by pizza. Do you mean like a a fully loaded four cheese with stuffed crust, or do you mean like a vegetable pizza? Because they're going to be quite different too. Yeah, uh, maybe there were more vegetable pizza, pizzas back in 1984. The inference here, though, is that it's not just meats that we should have smaller quantities of. Cheese and milk didn't get the big tick either. And yet, Ali, cheese and milk do get the big tick in other respects. So what to do? How much cheese and milk? So um, there are some really good guidelines out there where you can measure the amount that you have by the size of your like palm for carbohydrates or your thumb for butter and stuff like that. So it's quite a good way. That's a really easy way to just stick with it. And I think the Heart Foundation's got more information on that. So enough cheese you stick on the end of your thumb or yeah. the, across, along your thumb. All right. Um, can I ask you as well, why have salad spinners become popular, which I noticed they have, again? Um, do you have one? I love my salad spinner. Oh, you do? I do, but probably not for the reasons that I should. Uh, is it somehow important to have dry salad? 
What, is, what does a salad spinner do? Um, so the salad spinner, for those of you who don't know it, is um, a fantastic bit of kit. Uh, I don't know nutritionally that it makes any difference whatsoever, but they're just fun to use. So you basically put your salad in it and you press a button or pull a lever and it shakes it around so it gets rid of the water. Um, and I guess the benefit of that is that if you've got dirt in that water, it'll get rid of that too. Um, but mostly... The reason that I love it is that we had one as a kid and I remember competing with my brothers as to who could get it to move the furthest along the table when you pulled it. So they are a lot of fun. I asked in the newsroom and the only salad spinner I could um, find was someone's sister had one and she was drying her clothes on it. Oh, nice. That's, yeah. that's quite impressive. <laughs> I didn't know they went that big. No, I think um, small items of clothing. Uh Last thing, I've been reading that we underestimate the importance of having grapes in the fruit bowl. I forget where I saw this, but it was um, advocating our eating more grapes. Is that right? We should be doing that. Um, so grapes are great for your heart and brain and your general health they've got loads of antioxidants in them but they also have sugar so you need to think about how much you eat same as any pieces of fruit or most foods in general so um the the other thing is that I went to buy grapes, grapes the other day and they were hideously expensive this time of year. So I don't know that I'd start um, swapping anything out for it at the moment. But it's one of those things where, you know, we've talked about eating the rainbow. So trying to get as many different colours as of fruit and veg as you can. So it's, it's one colour and it can be quite good for you. But think about everything else that goes in as well. In moderation. Everything in moderation. Uh, very nice of you to come in and talk to us. So you're doing God's work this weekend. How long have you been involved with uh, with this kind of swimming teaching? So swim coaching in general, probably, um, I don't know, probably about 14 years, I suppose. Um, took it, it was a great way to meet people when I moved to New Zealand as well. So it's been an awesome way to get into the community. And, yeah, love it. It's, you're doing great work. And you've got a great pool down there, of course, Moana, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely, and an even better one in Moscow. Oh, I shouldn't say that because you don't want people to start clogging up the lanes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr Ellie Hill, thanks and all the best. Thank you.